Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Later in this episode, we'll hear from football agent and, it turns out, all-round nice guy, Tony Sharkey, but it's it's Newsday, Kieran, and first, um, the news that I probably picked the wrong time to buy all those shares in Coca-Cola. <laughs> yes, uh, this is uh, hot on uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, at uh, at a press conference uh, in, in respect of Portugal's match uh, against Hungary, and uh, he he went on to the front desk where there were two bottles of Coca Cola from the Euro 2020 official sponsors, Coca Cola, um, and uh, and some water as well. And he uh, very carefully removed the the bottles of Coca Cola mm. um, and uh, said, you know, "Agua." Uh, I he, he you know he, he is a temple in terms of his uh, physical fitness and, and attention to detail in terms of diet. Um, and this had an immediate uh, effect of of knocking down the share price. Uh, of Coca-Cola, uh, and, and by about $4 billion, which wow. is an incredible amount of money. It, it did bounce back uh, a wee bit later, but I think it's indicative of some people in sport in general, and, and I think we've got to include Cristiano Ronaldo in this, um, they, they go beyond the sport. If you, if you take a look at his social media impact um, and the number of followers that he has, it is uh, it, it is transcendental. And... Um, that that's indicative of just how much impact uh, a person a person of his uh, not- notoriety can have. Yeah, arguably he is bigger than the game. I think he would certainly agree with that. But having said that, Kieran, they are official sponsors after all. Will there not be any kind of UEFA sanction from this? Because it's you know what the marketing people are like at that level of organisation. They would have been furious at, at Ronaldo doing that, and I'm sure somewhere. Deep in the contract, there will be some kind of line about players not knocking bottles of Coca-Cola off the table in a press conference. Um, I think it's one of these things which could, can work both ways because we wouldn't be having this conversation had he not done it and we wouldn't have noticed the bottle of Coke um, had, had it just normally been there. So it, it could work out to the advantage mm. of the, the sponsor. He didn't say anything negative about Coca-Cola. Um, so I, I think they will they will struggle to uh, find find any way of, uh, of of remonstrating on the formal level. Um, some people, of course, have uh, have shown Cristiano 
um, ad- advertising uh, other products by yes. fast food organizations. So, so is, is there an element of, uh, of humbug in this? Or is he trying to make a, a much broader point that uh, you know, we've got this, uh, uh, this, this, amazing, this amazing product called water, which, mm. is, which is practically free um, and is a lot healthier for you? As you know, I, I drink nothing but water, um, and that makes me incredibly dull. I was going to say that's that's single-handedly one of the most depressing sentences I've heard for quite some time, Gerard. Uh, almost free, you say, except in some restaurants in London where they charge you through the nose for water that you can see gushing out of their tap. Yes. Um, a couple of other stories around the Euros. Uh, fans who wanted to go to games are being offered the chance to buy back tickets, but at higher prices, which doesn't seem right, Kieran, does it? Yes, I think all fans have been yeah they've they've accepted that the situation and have been broadly sympathetic to the position that UEFA find them play, find themselves in uh, especially with some of the venues such as Bilbao and Dublin uh, mm. no longer being in a position to host matches um so UEFA have had a policy effectively of cancel refund and resell um and that has worked to an extent um clearly we've got the issues of restricted capacity but what it does seem a little bit strange is that uh, we've got fans who originally, let's say, would have a Category 3 game um, for, for a group stage, which, which you know, the, the Category 3 ticket is uh, €50. Euro. And then you would think that they would be at priority. Um, and then they're being offered tickets of €125 Euro for the same match. Um, because uh, there's so few tickets available in in the uh, in in the cheaper they're not cheap uh, but cheaper mm, seats cheaper, yeah. um, because so many areas of uh, individual stadiums are being uh, effectively no go areas so it, you, you can understand the frustration um, especially I don't I don't think UEFA has has helped itself at times because there appear to be sort of uh, insinuations that some tickets are going on general sale, and and those fans who originally bought tickets are saying, "Well, hold on, you know, we we we, we thought we were priorities," and and there, there's mixed messages. So I think there's been a communications breakdown. Um, I I can't really see the justification for charging those ticket prices for a stadia, which are going to be you know a quarter half full, because mm. that's that part of the reason why you buy tickets. Is because of the that the impact that the crowd have, and a full crowd is is uh, you know so much more different from a partial crowd, which let's be honest is also better than having nobody there at all. Mm. England players could already afford tickets for the Euros if they so wanted, Kieran, but um, they can afford them even more now because of a pay boost because of a new FA image rights deal. Yes, um, there has been, and we've spoken about image rights on quite a few occasions Mm. on the show, Uh, there has been a HMRC investigation into the position of image rights. Now, England players, um, and again, this is something which I don't think they get enough credit for, their match fees, they automatically donate those to charity, which is which is fantastic. They don't have to do that, but they choose to do that, which I think is great. Um, the, the image rights, which come through the uh, the deals that the, the FA have with sponsors, um, they, they do keep those, and, and, and rightly so, because mm. the, the, the Football Association benefits from that as well. Um, and those tend to be sort of broadly split uh, between sort of the, the, over the whole squad. Um, HMRC 
aren't particularly happy because if you receive money from your employer, and the Football Association is effectively an employer uh, during the course of the tournament, um, given the uh, level of remuneration that football players receive, they would normally be paying income tax at 45%. Um, and H- and the Football Association would, of course, be paying national insurance employers' contributions. Um, if you have money paid to an image rights company, then you pay corporation tax at 19%. So HMS, RC, uh, have investigated many, many players at both individual clubs and clearly here now at international level. And it looks as if, from uh, from reading the reports, that uh, the the Football Association have said, we will take on the burden if you end up having to pay extra tax or having to go and spend uh, extra money with your accountant, then we as the Football Association will take on that particular cost as a burden. So the the players will be effectively uh, guaranteed that uh, they'll only be paying tax at 19%. Mm. And if they if there are uh, additional tax liabilities to to be undertaken, those will be borne by the Football Association. Can the players afford it regardless? Yes, but you know the, 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 their representatives would argue that that's not the point. I like the sound of HMSRC. It sounds like, sounds like a Catholic battleship. Um, <laughs> do, do we have an image rights deal as part of our contracts with Guy? Uh, I... I only if somebody wants our image, Kevin, and two, <laughs> point. Two, 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 two blokes who, who aren't exactly on the right side of youth, uh, grumbling. Um, I, I'm, you know, if, there is, if there is a market out there, um, and, and perhaps uh, perhaps we should be discussing this with Tony Sharkey, um, then, then I think we need somebody to represent us on, on, on that behalf. Well, it, it could be the reason we couldn't shift those price of football mugs, Kieran, that didn't, didn't, <laughs> yes. didn't have our photographs on them. Um, Eleven national league clubs. Eleven national league clubs. That's a lot of national league clubs. I'm afraid have lost their appeal after being found guilty of failing to fulfil fixtures. So, what are the ramifications of that? Well, um, the, the vast majority of these clubs are in National League North and South, hmm. um, and they have been fined two thousand pounds per breach so if you Mm. missed four fixtures it works out at eight thousand pounds and so on they've also been given a suspended two-point deduction uh for uh for not fulfilling those fixtures uh last season so that that's sort of the broad picture as far as the national league north and south is concerned we then move to the position of dover athletic mm. um dover athletic were given a, a 40 pound a 40 a 40000 pound fine um and a 12 point deduction for next season so they've been they've been uh, relegated uh, from from the main national league, there's no doubt that they w- they weren't having a good season. Um, their their owner has said uh, they're going to have to move from being a professional club to go semi pro. They're also saying that they're not going to pay the fine. Um, this was an independent uh, commission, apparently, who mm. who made these decisions. Um, and I did take a look at the the ruling, and, and they said that there was insufficient evidence that Dover Athletic uh, submitted that they were uh, not in a position to be able to pay the wages and 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 to therefore fulfil the fixtures. Um, so th- there's clearly uh, a bit of bad blood. Um, so so that that's where we are. But to, to make things worse. It looks as if each of these clubs will also having to be having to pay 
between twelve to sixteen hundred pounds uh, in costs and uh, a two hundred and fifty pounds appeal fee, which they won't be getting back. So, right. at a time when clubs in the national league, uh, especially in in north and south, are genuinely uh, you know scrabbling around for, for every penny they can find. Um, it, it does seem does seem harsh, and it'll be interesting to see when these fines will have to be paid. I mean, if if the if the national league says we're going to defer it, you know, twelve months, two years, or whatever, because of the implications of COVID, I think that would be a step forwards. But this this to a certain extent is it the national league board getting their revenge back on all of those mm. clubs who who have put forward the vote of no confidence in the league board itself. Because as you say, Kieran, I mean, if, if you're a fan of a Premier League club, you'll hear figures like £8,000 fine, £12,000 to £1,500, £250, and you'll say, well, it would just pay, pay up, find some change down the back of a sofa. But to those clubs at that level, they are considerable amounts of money, and you'd, you'd like to think that the National League weren't being vindictive and, and will prove that by saying, well, look, give it two years you clearly can't afford that now we're piling pressure upon pressure it's you know the, the national league needs to move on there's all sorts as we know there's all sorts of tensions between clubs and it's it's not going to be a happy time when it kicks off even if they've got full grounds is it no no uh the uh the state of the state of play Beyond the you know the, the uh, EFL and the Premier League is is not uh, not in a good position at present, which is such a shame because um, anybody that ever goes to watch National League matches it's yeah. it's, it's a great day out. There, there is, is uh, and you, you do uh, have that sense of nostalgia when you mm-hmm. go there. Um, the quality of footballs is, quality of football is good. Uh, the the ability to to feel that you are part of that terrace culture once again is fantastic mm-hmm. as well. Um, so th- there's lots of positives for the National League. Let's try to have a period of reconciliation. Mm. And this ain't the way of doing it. Absolutely. Now, Kieran, I know it's not called the government's furlough scheme, but I keep forgetting what it is you tell me to call it. But whatever it is, Rotherham players have asked to go on it. And it's that's an odd request, isn't it? The players have asked to go on the furlough scheme. Well, um, no, I, I, th- I think it's slightly different. The, I, I, I saw it that the club had written to the players. Um, and if you're an employee, uh, remember, this is called the job retention scheme. And, and the yes. broad aim is to let me, ensure... Let me, write it, let me write it down this time, Kieran. <laughs> job retention scheme. Uh, uh, and there's no point telling me how you interpret it, Kieran, and how I interpret it. I'll just read it out. <laughs> take it take it up with guy <laughs> yeah the, the the aim the, the aim is uh when we fully come out of uh some form of lockdown some form of restrictions on our ability to 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 operate as uh, as uh, as day-to-day citizens as we, as, as we remember it um that uh, as many people as possible will be able to return to to employment um Rotherham, uh, Rotherham's non-playing staff have been on furlough, many of them, since March 2020 when the scheme was initially announced. And I'm completely in favour of that hmm. um, because you know, ultimately the important thing is that these people have jobs to go back to. Hmm. Um, but uh, as far as the, the players are concerned, clearly that, that wasn't uh, Available wasn't 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 possible because they they were they were doing their day to day job, which is playing football and training for that. Um, 
Rotherham were the only club uh, in the the championship to break even in 2019, and they run a really tight ship. They, they, their finances are pretty good, but relegation to League One uh, results in a drop of TV money by 85%. Now, you, you still do have parachute payments, which will uh, alleviate that to a certain extent, but the club has, has tried to persuade the players to uh, to go on furlough. Um, and, and this is now, my understanding, is causing a wee bit of bad feeling because there's a couple of players at uh, at Rotherham for whom uh, transfer bids have come in. The club hasn't accepted those bids as yet. So, so how can you expect somebody to, to go on furlough and also not allow them to uh, move on to another club? So uh, the players can reject the, the request to go on furlough, but where that will leave the club's finances uh, over the course of the summer, we're quite uncertain at present. Mm. Do you know, I'm quite pleased, Kieran, that Eric Alonso uh, is still hanging there, but we can't shake him off. We, <laughs> no matter how hard we try, we cannot get rid of Eric Alonso. He's just released a statement on his failed Derby takeover, which essentially he's taken quite a lot of words to say, not my fault, Gov. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it was, it's, a, it's a very long and detailed interview uh, in The Athletic with Ryan Conway. Mm. Um, and he... Keeps claiming that uh, he was in a position to to buy Derby County, but the EFL kept putting in barriers, mm. um, and, and the EFL, um, uh, quite rightly, in my opinion, said we want proof of funds. It's, it's, yeah. it's no point you waving around uh, bank statements because uh, you know twelve months ago we're we're the guy from Hong Kong waving around bank statements yeah. in respect of uh, the the takeover of Wigan really? Athletic, and yeah. look where that happened. Look, yeah, look how that uh, developed very, very quickly. So, the the uh, the, the main issue um, was that the EFL quite rightly said um, we want to know the source of the money that's gone into these uh, into these accounts. And Eric Alonso is sort of sort of very vaguely claiming, well, I'm yeah, you know, I'm a football agent. Uh, my family's got a hotel. Um, I'm involved in in mining in in Indonesia and uh, various other sort of. Very vague, uh, very generalist uh, comments, and uh, then he claimed that uh, the the loan from MSD Holdings, um, he was quite happy for that loan to be transferred to him. Um, uh, but I, if I was MSD Holdings, I'd be going, "Well, well hold on, um, what exactly this loan is going to be secured on? Because at yeah. present, if uh, if uh, if Derby County go bust." You know, we, we've got a secured loan on the property, so uh, you know we get something back. When um, we and you know, if Eric Alonso, of course, uh, people not familiar, did show a very very nice uh, property on <laughs> on social media, um, and if I was MSD Holdings, said, "Well, if he owns that, that's uh, yeah. yeah, we quite happily take take uh, uh, take that on." Um, but um, this very nice property uh, didn't happen to be actually owned by Eric Alonso, um, and he then claimed my Twitter account was hacked. It's, it's, it's that that old chestnut. Um, so that's that's where we are. Um, there's also sort of again vague mutterings about that he's involved with an American group. Now that yeah, that could be the Foo Fighters for all I know, who who are interested in buying Derby County but wasn't prepared to give any specific details with regards to them. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that the guy's a delusional fantasist, um, but uh, he, he 
probably hasn't helped him his cause uh, in respect of this this particular interview. But he does like talking to the press. He does, doesn't he? I, do you know what? I might try Eric's plan with Nat West. I might send him a photograph of Guy's house <laughs> and say, "Look, of course I can afford that loan. What are you talking about?" <laughs> Um, continuing in the fine work that Premier League football players have been doing during the COVID crisis, quite often under the radar of the media, uh, Liverpool striker Divock Origi is launching a new scholarship in partnership with your your governors, Kieran, the University of Liverpool. That, that's right. Um, and uh, hats off to, to Divock. You know, yeah. uh, this, this, is, this is a scholarship where uh, the tuition fees, which I think are you know, £9,250 a year, um, for, for two students. Now, th- th- it's got to be people who are from the city of Liverpool within sort of the, 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 the borough boundaries um, and also giving £3,000 uh, a year to, towards living costs because you know, student life is, is not cheap. So I think it's a fantastic uh, commitment from, from Divock. Uh, clearly, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted as, uh, as, as an employee, as, 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 a, mm. as an academic at the university, that we, we do have a really good relationship with, with the club. Um, and uh, for him to, to acknowledge the importance of, of education to, to young people's lives and the difference it can make uh, is, uh, is, first of all, it's, it's very nice, but uh, you know, he's, he's really put his money where his mouth is here, and, and, it's, and it's a fantastic uh, – fantastic sponsorship of of this scholarship. Mm. I think it's been one of my favourite moments of the Euro so far was Raheem Sterling's old PE teacher explaining how much his goal at Wembley, 400 yards from where he was brought up, means to youngsters being brought up in the same street. It was was wonderful. And you see how happy Raheem Sterling was. Uh, Again, another player who some parts of the media still won't like, but who's doing brilliant things for young people, as indeed so many players are, as we just said, without getting any publicity for it at all. Um, At the other end of the goodwill scale, the High Court has ruled that £3.5 million held in a football index player protection account can now be redistributed to 280000 former customers. I'm not sure what 280000 into £3.5 million uh, is, Kieran. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's not going to be uh, an equal split. Um, broadly, uh, uh, the way that this works is that if you owned, and here we are, let's get out the quotation marks, shares in a footballer, yeah, um, and you and you had an account with Football Index. Let's say that you would you you deposited a grand into your Football Index account, and then you spent nine hundred and fifty pounds on shares in these players. That meant that you had fifty pounds left over. Um, and it's and it's those sort of little residual amounts which are uh, uh, related to individual investors that uh, I, I believe are in the player protection account and which can now be distributed. Uh, I believe you'll be able to log on to your football index uh, account and, and take that money out. Where that leaves dividends, where that leaves the value of the shares, which uh, if if some stories are to be believed, uh, come to a total of £100 million that's been put in by uh, people that, are, that were involved with Football Index is uncertain. Um, there is a government inquiry now taking place under Malcolm Sheehan QC, so I'm sure that'd be very detailed and very mm. thorough as to identify where things went wrong and, and to look at the parties, the stakeholders involved who perhaps could have done more. Um, what what raised my eyebrows a wee bit is that the the people behind Football Index 
are now thinking of relaunching it. And they're saying uh, the we're going to relaunch it, and the and the creditors, uh, all, all of these punters who have lost so much money, um, they're going to end up with fifty uh, percent of the the new company. Now, how they're going to persuade people to uh, get involved with that, given given its tarnished reputation, I'm not so sure. There. Well, what Football Index could do is uh, appoint Eric Alonso as CEO. That might help. <laughs> um, can now be redistributed isn't quite the same as will now be redistributed, or are they legally obliged to return this money now? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there was an issue as to when did your when when was the cutoff date? Uh, because clearly there's transactions taking place all the time, and the judge decided that the, the cutoff date. I think it was something like the 24th of March, right. um, and therefore on the back of that. Um, we, we can now move forwards. Uh, knowing Geordies, as I do, Kieran, I'm convinced that Newcastle United fans will win in the end and their effort to buy part of the club has broken the six-figure barrier, which is very impressive because it's only been launched for three months. Yes. Um, so, so Newcastle fans who have uh, given pledges to... Uh, the, the aim is to, to buy shares in, in the club um, and uh, it's, a, it's sort of a it's a it's a semi crowdfunding package. So mm. uh, you do get rewards if you if you if you pledge more money. Um, that has now raised one hundred and five thousand um, pounds. We are aware that Mike Ashley is trying to sell the club for three hundred million. So you know it's, it's uncertain how much the, the this scheme will, will finally earn uh, generate. But even if it's just one percent of the club, and it allows. Uh, going forwards, and, and and I would say to any prospective owner, uh, you, you will have such a public relations victory, um, as well as mm. um, an insight into the unique nature of uh, Newcastle and football, and the way that that city is tied to the sport. And the you know, we, we we we've both been there as as fans, and you, of course, as a broadcaster, um, in terms of it is so central to the city. Mm. Um, that uh, they, I think it would be foolish to to not allow some form of fan representation in in terms of either shares or or, or a position on the on on the new board for ideally some new owners to, to come in and replace Mike Ashley. So um, hats off to the Newcastle fans; they've made a really good start. Um, you know, I know times are tough for us all financially, so it's it's an amazing achievement today. And on a similar note, Tranmere Rovers are crowdfunding a new fan park and community venue. Is crowdfunding a good model, Kieran? Um, yes, because um, it's it's fairly transparent um, and it allows people to to see what they're buying into, but also it's it's a tiered set of uh, rewards. So um, I, you know, I think there are signed shirts available. There is uh, opportunity to go to the launch event, um, and if you if you put in twenty thousand pounds and and. The, uh, the the whole scheme is going to cost 1.6 million. I think of which the 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 club has raised the vast majority, and they're asking the fans to contribute as well. Um, if you put in 20,000 pounds into the scheme, um, you get to cut the ribbon when it's opened. But more importantly, you get a beer named after you because there's going to be a Ooh. microbrewery Ooh. on the site. Uh, the, the the fan park's going to have a capacity of 1,200 people. And uh, yeah, I've, I've spoken or listened to Mark Palios on many occasions, and he's, he's a very, very astute and, and uh, very forward-thinking 
uh, owner. And the, the advantage of, of having the fan park is that it could be used for weddings, it could be used for uh, conferences, it could be used for award ceremonies. If they, they want it to be the, the number one venue on the Wirral. So, so I was also thinking, you know, when, when we go on tour, you know, perhaps, perhaps we could book the, the fan park um, it's got 1,200 capacity, so you know tickets will be at a premium. Um. <laughs> I, I, Kieran, we're going to do that. I tell you, I will not rest in my life until I can walk into a bar and order a pint of Kieran Maguire. <laughs> that, that, wouldn't that be like, that's an ambition for both of us? That will be fulfilled. Um, the interview with Tony Sharkey coming up. Just a couple more news stories. One of them involving a club just down the road from me, Whiteleaf FC. Because they and Abingdon Town have withdrawn from their respective leagues, saying that they couldn't agree terms for a lease on their grounds with the company linked to Ian Rush. I'm not sure I can see the actual link here, Kieran, why that means they would, they would have to withdraw from the league. Well, um, the, the leases are uh, up for renewal. Um, for, for both of these clubs. Right. And uh, Whiteleaf have said that we, we couldn't agree a rental fee um, and, and therefore we, we're not in a position to to play our matches because oh, simply we can't simple. afford it. And, right. and Abington okay. appeared to have done the same. Um, the the other party involved, who are called Irama Sports, who, who appear to have used Ian Rush's name, and I don't think Ian Rush is... Overchuffed about this because he right. thought he was they were they were a an organisation committed to grassroots sport. Yeah, um, Irama Sports have have come out and said uh, we're being made the scapegoats from this. White Leaf as, as a football club has been poorly run, and, and we're we're going to be made the fall, fall guys. Um, we're not going to be trying to convert the, these these uh, properties into uh, you know business or recreational or business sorry business or residential. Yeah. All the grounds will be used for one hundred percent recreational purposes. Um, also, I think there's something about some form of sports colleges being set up. Yeah. So, um, you know, th- th- these two clubs between them have got 250 years of history. Yeah. So, which, which is which is incredible. Um, yeah, and you say one of them, one of them's close to you, and it's these small community clubs that do so much to uh, to help young people to to give people just just a, an escape route as well if if, if their fans are going along um, it, it's it's a shame um, and and it, and it does appear that uh, once again poor communication it's not just mm. the national league where this is taking place it's happening between landlords and and tenants um, given the circumstances that we've we've seen ourselves have to experience as a result of covid these clubs have got no money so if, if the landlords are demanding extra money uh, for, for renting out the, the properties, um, that does seem very harsh. Yeah, Whiteley for a club with a lot of links with Palace, uh, including the legendary Steve Kemba, who managed both. But when you go to games at Whiteley, you, your immediate reactions in, in, as you walk into the ground is, oh, this is, this is worth a lot of money, this site. I mean, as, yeah. you, as, as a residential area, that would be premium. And it's... It, it, it's amazing that it's not been snapped up before, to be perfectly honest. Um, and our final news story is not just down the road for me. Turkish champion Besiktas uh, are challenging UEFA at sports highest court uh, over unpaid debts. Yes, uh, UEFA um, are 
uh, apply financial fair play um, much more broadly than, than what we tend to hear. Uh, you mm. know, clearly, our focus is is on the impact on 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 clubs domestically and the the Manchester City, which was very much a flagship prosecution as far as UEFA concerned last year, did op- occupy the airwaves for a long period of time. But um, UEFA ruled that uh, because Besiktas had not made payments, now we think this is either to do with transfers or wages or taxes, um, it's, opposed, it's, sorry, it's imposed a 15% penalty in terms of uh, the, the uh, UEFA payments next year from, from the Champions League participation. Now, you know, if, if, uh, if they're through to the group stages, that's broadly looking at around about £30 million gross. So 15% of that is you know, four and a half, five million. Um, if, if they get into the knockout stages, again, every time they, they, they proceed, 15% is, is, is being deducted. So they've applied to the court to try to get this overturned, and, and they seem to have been successful to date. But as always, these things will run and run. Um, uh, FFP is, uh, in its present form, is, is, is going to be with us for a while um, un- unless they, they change the rules. Mm. It's interview time, Kieran. Um, and through you, because you are uh, a conduit to a host of important people, we managed to grab a chat with Agent Tony Sharkey. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of things to talk to him about, but first we asked him a question on behalf of some friends. Tony, hello. Thank you very much for talking to us. Can I start with a hypothetical question? What advice would you give to two ageing podcasters locked into a contract they don't even remember signing? (laughs) Um, Kevin, yeah, a contract they don't even remember signing. (laughs) Wow. Well, I, I, I think you should ask your employer what you actually did sign, what you did sign up to, and get a copy of that pretty damn quick. Yeah, good idea. We might, Kieran and I might try that. Kieran, we've been discussing how to, how to, how to move on with this situation, Tony. In fact, we might even try and book you to do it for us. You can have twenty percent of what we're getting so far, which if, is not if, a lot. If you're looking for a peer rise, you know, there's always other uh, channels and other um, content providers that are, are there with an open checkbook. And I think as long as you keep reminding um, Dib Dab or whoever it is that runs this, then <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's exactly how we describe it, dib or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, Tony, so it's, uh, Kieran knows you very well, and I, so I know that you've got a, a sense of humour, but I, I want to get this question out of the way first. Would you think the public will ever fully understand the role of an agent? Because whenever football fans in a pub discuss football finance, they will inevitably raise their eyebrows and say, yeah, bloody agents. Um. I don't think the will. I think I think the narrative has been very anti-football agents, and it mm. comes from a number of places. But it's quite a complicated business to be involved with, and, mm. and you know, I myself run um, agent training courses, and, yeah. and I, you know, I invite people to find out a little bit more uh, about the agent business because it is it is really interesting. It is quite a complicated business, um, and you know, the football fans are often uh, fed the narrative of, you know, greedy agents making a lot of money. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, 
You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, I think in the past, clubs and chief executives have been happy to share that narrative as well, isn't it? It, it, it removes a lot of the burden from them, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's an unusual um, situation because clubs are more and more... I mean, there's very few clubs who aren't interested in wanting to work with football agents, and that's the actual truth of it. And most football agents do a, a really good job for their clients, and usually chief executives are more than happy to to talk to you, to work with you. So that sort of narrative, I think that was maybe 10, 15 years ago, and I think that has changed a little bit. Mm. Um, but then when you look at the media, the media like to splash the big stories about agents making lots of money on deals, um, you know, and, and that's the sort of narrative that's spread in the media. Yeah, one of the, the questions that our listeners Asked the most on this pod about agents is the notion of preferred agents. So Palace used to have Will Salthouse, who now does a lot of stuff with West Ham, I think, and Wolves tend to do all their stuff through one agent. Is that is that becoming an increasingly common phenomenon in, in modern football? Um, no, I think it's an unusual um, phenomenon. I think if you're talking about George Mendes and, and the, his relationship with the ownership group at Wolves, that's a very that's a very unique relationship um it's been successful but there's been other agents that have been working very closely with clubs and it hasn't been so successful but when you look at the deals that are done uh between clubs in the premier league the championship the spl you know clubs use a variety of agents uh and not there's not many clubs that do prefer one particular person mm. on on the other side of the coin though if a club is looking to sell a player and wants an agent's help in you know getting the best transfer price that they can possibly get for that player then there will be a, a few agents a handful of agents that they entrust uh, to do that role for them uh, sorry about the helicopter sound effect there tony that's it's uh, what we call the south london ice cream van well, um, you know, it's it's not my helicopter. I, I love the <laughs> I love the um, 
Kevin Keegan coming to Saint, uh, leaving St James's oh, Park on yeah. a helicopter, and, and Andy Carroll leaving the training ground to go to Liverpool on a helicopter. Fantastic football stories, you know. Which it's do you know what? As a, as a normal human being, it's the sort of thing that really impresses me. I was I was in a helicopter once. And I didn't stop talking about it for about four weeks. <laughs> um, I, I notice um, you, you mentioned your the agent's course um, yeah. which you started doing, which I think is very interesting. Um, looking into that, I notice you you talk about offering guidance to players and their families. Is is that something that all agents do now? Yeah, absolutely. It, it depends on what age you're talking about the players, but players can be signed. Uh, on a representation contract by an agent at 16. So at 16, you know, the family is going to be really heavily involved with the player's development. The, the mum and dad's probably been taking them to the games from seven, eight-year-old. And it's more of a talking to the player and his family. Uh, he might have older siblings. And so that, you know, as the players get older, they can, you know, then as they become adults, they can then have a, a closer relationship with the agent just from the player and the agent and, and the parents perhaps don't take as much of a role. But yeah, parents are a massive part of the um, footballer's career. Yeah, well, if rumours to be believed, not always a positive part either as well, which is, uh, again, one of the, the issues that our listeners are always very interested in is the fact that players can be represented from the age of 16. And you, you talk to a lot of academy coaches who who are slightly worried about that, and then worried about the fact that even younger players will become represented shortly as well. Yeah, the, there is an anomaly because you know at at thirteen, fourteen, players are being sort of traded mm. um, from academies. You know, a good yeah. young player at Watford will end up in a another club somewhere else in the country or, or wherever. Um, and and who's actually looking after that sort of? transaction on behalf of the young player because he mm. is under 16 he will be in an academy and and there's a little bit of an anomaly there you know i think as long as um the the agent's giving good value or you know particularly for me i, I you know i left school at 16 and went to leeds united i didn't have an agent and when i got a pro contract my dad didn't have a clue about anything that you know what was in a football contract mm. at all signed it, signed whatever was in front of me. I was released at 19 from Leeds and I didn't have any support or guidance of what to do next. Now, uh, if I had an agent at that time, I think one, the agent may have found me a couple of clubs to go on trial mm. at or a couple of contracts, but also it was the support and guidance and understanding what happens in the business. And, you know, there is a lot of young players who... um at 18, 19, do get released and do drop out the yeah. game. And, and, and that's when an agent can earn earn his money. Mm. We've got some topical questions for you, Tony. But before that, can I ask you about the Football Transfer Forum? That looks really interesting. Yeah, it was something I started in, in 2017. And it's it's basically a, a an event for anyone who's involved in a football transfer. So whether you're an agent or whether you're a chief scout or sporting director, or you're a, a person who has a company that's in that space. There's lots of data companies and, and, and different types of individual companies that are um, in this sort of transfer space in football. And it was just a networking event to get those people together in one room and also to have some 
really keynote top class speakers of which Kieran Maguire was uh, one of them. Kieran spoke at our event. It was our last event actually that we've run it, which was 2019 at Anfield in the new stand. And Kieran was excellent. He was really good for our football audience. Hmm. I was going to say, it was checked just... in the post, Tony. Thanks, Kieran. <laughs> it, it wasn't the last event because Kieran spoke here. <laughs> well, we had the next event was set up for the Etihad uh, Man City yeah. in, in uh, the 1st of May. And uh, yeah, we're still waiting to do that. Yeah. Do you know what I, what I found really interesting reading about it? Because I do, contrary to popular belief, some research. I It didn't occur to me, and I'm sure it doesn't to a lot of outsiders, how many people are actually involved in a football transfer. You just assume it's it's an agent, a player and a chief exec, but it's a much more complicated business than perhaps we realise, isn't it, us, us non-football people? Well, well, if you're looking from the club side, you know, clubs... Uh, have many many people firstly i suppose it's the scouts who are out there you know well used to be out there will be out there this 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 season watching players in in real life you've got analysts who are watching players on on video as well from all over the world and you know people who are looking at the data on players so it starts a sort of sifting process and, and they start you know looking at lots of players and then as as a player gets of more interest to a club and the, 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 the short list, the long list becomes a short list, then the sporting director or chief scout gets involved. And, and then at that stage when he, there might be, you know, three or four players that they're looking at to sign, then other people in the club, whether it's the finance or chief exec, get involved in terms of, you know, talking to the agent and trying to get the deal done. But essentially, you know, if a, if a player's contracted at a club, it's you know the selling club, the buying club, and the agent, and and mm. and that those three parties try to get a deal done. The transfer market seems very quiet at the moment, Tony. Is that the case, or is it just a delay caused by the Euros? Um, yes, I think it is quiet. It, it's a it's a funny month, June, because obviously we you know I mean I think Hartlepool have still got one game to go um, yeah, in the National yeah. League, but yeah. generally what happens once the playoffs are all done and dusted. You know, a lot of the football people try to get away on holiday, try to, you know, a week wherever they can um, in this country for, for for the COVID times. But, you know, it does go quiet in, in June generally. I mean, I've been sort of working on this summer's transfer window since April, but it actually only opened last week in, in mm. effect. But talking to clubs, looking at what they need, offering players, talking about players, you know, started for me in April. So mm. it has gone a little bit quiet in June. You know, some of the deals have, have gone through. Um, I'm starting to sort of think that, you know, it, it, it will be a little bit flatter than previous years in terms of uh, transfer spending mm. uh, just because of the big financial hit that everyone's had. Yeah, but also because of that financial hit with many, many clubs reporting COVID-related losses, is that having a negative impact on wages? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the. I think, I mean, I, I heard Kieran speak about it many, many times. But for me, the, the Premier League potentially has. Um, it, it's it's not. It, it's in a better. It's in a better position than many other leagues. You know, the French league, mm. Spanish league. Some of the clubs there are really, really struggling. So it's a real buyer's market. Um, when we're looking at the Championship, you know, the Championship clubs. 
the finances weren't great to begin with at the you know the start of of covid and and they, that's just made it a hell of a lot worse so i've had um some offers in that have been really low um below sort of what i would anticipate to be market rate and you know mm. 25 30% lower well, and are, are some players, though, willing to sign longer deals for less money in order to have greater certainty in this in this climate? Um, I suppose that's it's it's down to the individual player, really. I mean, it, look, if you had if you've had a good last season and and you know you've done really well, then you'd be looking for a pay rise somewhere, won't mm. you? You know, if you've had an okay season and the club comes to you and says, "Hey, listen, you've done well for us. We'll give you a little bit of a." or a, an extra couple of years on the same money, you might think, well, oh, that sounds a bit of certainty, a bit of security. But if you haven't had such a good season, then you're going to be worried, aren't you? And you're going to sort of think, well, oh, if the club comes with two years on less money, then I'll, I'll take it and I'll ride out the sort of storm. Mm. And talking of certainty, Tony, according to who you believe, my club, Crystal Palace, have 11, 14 or 127 players currently out of contract. Um, is that an agent's nightmare or an agent's opportunity? Um, it depends which side of the fence you're on. If you're looking to, uh, you know, bring a player into the Premier League into Crystal Palace, then there's 14 potential slots available. You know, I haven't really seen much of Crystal Palace this this season, but you know, as an agent, you're looking to see what positions they need filling. I mean, probably Kevin, if you you know you've seen quite a bit of them, mm. you know, tell me the positions that you think, and then you know. Agents are looking at so let's say they need a, 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 you know, most clubs will be looking at strikers, let's face it, and, and creative attacking players. And if they need a couple of them, then, you know, agents will be looking to speak to uh, the sporting director to put those players, you know, to present those players and to say, would you be interested in this guy? Mm. Uh, the fact that you said attacking creative players confirms that you've not watched much of Crystal Palace. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just generally, you know, most clubs do, you know, every sort of single transfer window look at attacking and creative players. Uh, what, what is it? What is it, Kevin? That uh, Palace need attacking creative players and strikers. Without that's that's the problem. We've we've got. Um, I don't know what the official word is. A glut of of hard central defensive midfield players but that's yeah that's sort of traditional at Palace but um, the problem is as a premium on strikers it's really interesting watching the Euros or or frustrating I suppose if you're from the country but nearly every team that you watch in the Euros isn't England the commentators are talking about the players in relation to the clubs that are interested in them in the rest of Europe which must yeah. be, yeah, and it's and it's always and it's always strikers, and every time a striker is mentioned in, in any commentary, it's like he's linked with this club, that club, which must be infuriating for the the, the club they're currently at. But I suppose good for the agent because you know you've got twenty five clubs looking at probably five world class strikers in Europe. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say infuriating for the club. It depends what the business model of the club is. But if you're a selling club and you've got a striker at, at the Euros and the Austrian striker who scored two fantastic goals against Scotland, everyone's talking about. If you're his club and and you know Liverpool comes in with a seventy-five million pound offer, you're not going to be too fussed about that. You're going to be quite happy, aren't you, to get the deal done and 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 you'll get another striker from somewhere else. So that's the nature of the game. I think 
the other thing to say about the Euros, and, and I speak to lots of sporting directors and scouts about this, all of those players are known to the clubs anyway. They've uh, already okay, scouted right, them right. over a long period. Right. They're not necessarily going to buy a player on a couple of good performances. Yes, if he's been performing well over a 12-, 18-month period and then he, he puts the cherry on the top and, 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 and scores a couple of goals at the Euro, yes, the value might go up and, and a few more people might come in. Hmm. But the clubs in England will know all of the players that are on stepping out onto the pitch in the Euros. And, and talking of Europe, as well, Tony, it, is Brexit making your life more difficult? Will it make your life more difficult? Or are the wealthier clubs going to find a way around the restrictions quite easily? Um, it, well, it, it was making it a bit more difficult because it was brought in on the 31st of December b- before the January transfer window and, uh, and everyone didn't really know what was actually going on and who was allowed to come in. But I've just got myself a what's called a GBE calculator, so Governing Body Endorsement. Uh, it's a platform where you can put a player's name in and it pops out, says, is he eligible to come to England? Uh. Or is he? Um, there's a there's a certain they've they've got to get 15 points, or or they've got to be a, a national team player at a, a top you know 50 FIFA ranked club. So really, when when I'm offering players I'm, to the to the English market, I'm making sure that they can get a work permit. Um, and you know, I'm using a calculator to do that. Not everyone's got the calculator, but mm. what it's actually meant for clubs is. You know, they've been scouting clubs, uh, scouting players across Europe. And all of a sudden, some of the countries in the lower bands, their players can't come in. So they've had to, you know, strike 50% of the players they've scouted overnight off their scouting Mm. list, so to speak, and only concentrate on the ones that can come into the UK, to England particularly. Mm. Uh, Obviously, this is... (laughs) Another Palace-related question, but I'm interested in how agents work for managers as well as players because Palace are taking forever to choose a new one. Will they be talking directly to Frank Lampard, Steve Cooper, Pep Guardiola or whoever else we're after or or will that conversation be done entirely through agents? Um, Yes, it'll be done through agents. uh, Managers have agents now and they'll be talking with the agents in the first instance. Obviously, they will want to speak to the prospective uh, head coach or manager, uh, and but that'll come later. I think, first of all, it'll be a contact with the, the manager or head coach's agent um, to see you know, what his situation is and then to see if there's a, a potential fit there. Um, it seems to have been going on for... A couple of months in in Palace's case now. Um, I don't know whether we're getting any closer, are we? Oh, it, it, I'm trying not to go onto news now every morning, but it's it's, <laughs> difficult. it's uh, it, it seemed like the the Nuno deal was was close until again. That's the trouble. Every every single fan has their own version of why a deal falls through, but um, it's. I, I think I'm fairly certain. I know who we'll end up with, and he's currently the manager of, of Swansea. But it's it's just frustrating that we seem to be one of those clubs that always does their business late. We never seem to be able to get some kind of efficiency going. We had a question recently on the pod about clubs that seem to deliberately wait until the last day of the transfer window uh, to sign players. But as Steve Parrish explained, that's often because you're, you're not signing your first choice. You, your first choice is not available, and you end up, have in a sort of kick bollock scramble to get your fourth choice on 
the last day of the transfer window, which I presume is the worst day of the season for you, isn't it? The last day of the transfer window. Well, well, just on the point of managers, you know, I think, and there's a few clubs there looking at, at new head coaches or new managers, mm. uh, and and those clubs, you know, that they really need to get the new head coach manager in before pre-season starts. You don't really want to go into pre-season if you can help it without a head coach. You know, there's a lot of planning involved. There's a lot of things to to take care of, and obviously, when you're signing new players. The player will and his agent will want to know. Well, who's the manager? Who yeah, do I speak to? Yeah. Does the manager? Does the head coach like him? Does he want him? You know, is that that's important to the player and, and to his agent? He'll want to know that information. Mm. But in terms of um, the, the way the transfer window works, it it does seem. I mean, it used to be really exciting when they had Sky Sports and, and, and Jim White with his yellow tie and what have you. <laughs> You know, it used to be a really exciting day. It's not as exciting as it used to be, I must say. But um, those deals can happen late for a number of reasons. And, you know, sometimes it's you're waiting. It's a bit like a house sale. You're waiting for one to go through before another one can actually uh, complete. Course. Yeah. And and it's a bit of a chain sort of reaction. But but also it might be that, you know, a club starts at the the start of the transfer window with a list of five strikers and they all go to other clubs or are signed or not signed or they can't afford them or whatever. And then they start looking at seventh, sixth and seventh option and, and they come late in the day. And, and even, you know, a, a player coming in on the last day to a club might unseat another player who is then available. So it, it, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a really, I mean, I, I quite enjoy the fact that there's a deadline being put in place and everyone's got to work towards that deadline. And and to be honest, I, one of the you know one of the um, well, it was one of the biggest loan deals I've ever done was on a, a deadline day, and, and it was really um, it gets the blood pumping. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I once advised Harry Redknapp to get a left-hand drive car just to, <laughs> just to confuse the cameraman. The last day. You um, know, Harry Harry Redknapp. We miss Harry Redknapp for oh, for the transfer window of the deadline. I bet you do. You know? you, um, talking to managers, you, you looked after Pep Guardiola, didn't you? What was that like? No, I I didn't look after Pep Guardiola. I um, I'm it's it's a it's a long story, and it's in it's in Pep's book, so I'm not sort of talking out of school, but. When he was 34, I got a call from a, a Spanish agent asking if I could find a trial for Pep uh, Guardiola in the Premier League. He wanted to come to the Premier League um, to have a look at it. You know, he was not not that far away from retiring. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I ended up getting him a trial at Manchester City when wow. um, when Stuart Pearce was the manager and Derek Fazakli was his assistant. And I think Stuart had come across played played against Guardiola a few times or whatever. But, um, yeah, so he had a week in Manchester um, on trial at the old Manchester City Football yeah. Club. Yeah. Wow, that must have been interesting. Tony, um, I've just realised uh, how long we've been talking um, and we've no already ha- we've already had a long pod, no uh, thanks to uh, Ronaldo and his Coca-Cola antics. Um, <laughs> but we 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 asked. I, I've still got hundreds of questions. We'll have to get you back because there's still a lot of things I'd like to explore. But we asked our listeners to send questions, and in my word, they sent a lot of questions here. But I, I've picked one that I thought was particularly interesting. So this is my final question. It comes from uh, Kevin Murphy, who I suspect is not French. Um, but Kevin Murphy says, is it correct that player wages and agent fees are normally agreed before 
the transfer fee is resolved now? Um, yeah, I would probably say the, the club has a, a very good idea of what the salaries will be before the whole transaction is agreed. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I'm glad we. Uh, it was a question you had to think about for a little bit there, uh, and that the, the the only difficult question you got asked came from a listener. I'm pleased about that, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I hope you have a um, a successful transfer window, and I hope. Uh, I, well, I'm sure you'll have gone some way to changing the attitude of some football fans towards agents because you know 99% of the people that we meet in football uh, have players uh, uh, best interests at heart basically I'm trying to think of the yeah. nice and and you've yeah. you've just confirmed that essentially well well Kevin for me you know the, the football agents are in the business because mainly the players who are the main protagonists want them and need them and that's for me you know, and, I, and if I think I'm doing a good job for my client, then I'm happy, you know, and, and it, it's only my client that I'm answering to, really. Mm. Nothing, not the media, not anybody else. And if I'm doing a good job for them, then I'm happy with that. Um, I would say I did have, um, my brother sent me a, a, a screenshot. Somebody had, had mentioned the name Sharky and, and agents, and, and that's always a bit of a, <laughs> a, a point of contention. But, you know, I didn't... Uh, Change my name by Depot when I became an agent or anything like that. I just, it's, um, in fact, one of the first managers that I ever rang up thought I was taking the mickey, you know, when I said what my name was. But, but, um, but, and, and, and also it's, you know, it's got nothing to do with the undertones, which I'm sure Kieran will be a big fan of the undertones. Absolutely. So sure we're, we're both big fans of the undertones, in fact. Yeah. yeah. But, but thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really yeah. appreciate it. And yeah, anytime, no problem. Yeah, in fact, Fergal Sharkey works just down the road from where we're doing this podcast now. What's he doing now then? It's, he works for the, he's head of the performing rights agency, the the people that make sure musicians get paid. Oh wow! Uh, money if if wow. their songs are played on the radio or on podcasts or whatever. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, no. So it's every now and again I just do this double take walking down Streatham High Road, going, "That's Fergal Sharkey." And, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you're not fan. You don't fan sort of him, do you? you know, no, no, no. Like oh, no. He, start he, singing or something. Or... Yeah, he, he hasn't got the demeanour of somebody who would be happy if you walked up. Started singing "Teenage Cousin." My perfect teenage cousin. Yeah, my perfect cousin. Yeah, yeah. Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk uh, talking to you. Thank you so much for uh, right. giving us your time. All right, brilliant. Thanks. I found that really enjoyable that interview, Kieran, and I found um, the insight really interesting. But what I took away from that most is that Stuart Pearce didn't fancy Pep Guardiola. <laughs> it's, it's like, yes, Stuart, he's thirty-four. He's one of the best defenders the world's ever seen. Do you want him? No. <laughs> no, he, he's, he's not been to the angelic upstarts gig. He, he wouldn't know Mency. <laughs> no, don't, 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 don't want any of that nonsense. Do you know what? I think we may have to get Tony back on again because uh, seriously, we, we had time issues. I just I, I, there's a lot more things I'd like to ask him. Also, I, I appreciate his openness because it's it's very difficult. He can't talk to us about specific clients, um, and uh, obviously danced around the palace questions very well. But um, there are many things I'd like to ask him, and he, 
Also, he sounds a bit like Bob Mortimer, and that's always a plus in my book. Um, thank you for listening uh, to our pod today. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, we'd be very grateful. And you can go to patreon.com forward slash price of football to do that. And of course, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, Monday is questions day. Email us at questions at price of football.com and I shall hand you over for the forthcoming to even to the forthcoming ale, Kieran Maguire. <laughs> um yeah, thanks again, folks, for uh, for all the kind words you send to us. Uh, and remember, at Patreon.com, it's I think it's only one pound a month. Uh, you know, and by all means, if you, I'm sure there's better things given, but one pound a month too. But if we are we are always grateful uh, for all the support. Um, if you if you want to uh, keep listening to the show, you can press that subscribe button or follow button on the Big Apple Podcast icon and if you give us a five star review doesn't matter what you say but it helps helps produce a guy he knows what he's doing and we don't is it only a pound well yeah that's 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 the lowest tier i think that that's that's you, you get good karma from us for that and and good karma from two blokes like us yeah what what, what what better way of improving the quality of your lives that's true that's worth a pound isn't it yeah bye everybody bye Buy a son for football.